Jesus has taken three of the disciples up, up a mountain and they're met with Elijah and Moses and they have an incredible time and I think the rest of the nine would be really gutted if they realised they'd be left alone. Anyway, so they have this awesome time, uh, not only with Jesus but with people who have gone to heaven and come back again or something. I'm not even going to the theology of that at the moment. Moses and Elijah were there. And then they come back down the mountain and we get to verse 14. And it says, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? So just, just imagine the picture. Jesus has left, no, nine of the, of the 12 haven't got to go up the mountain. They've, they've missed out on them. And, and while they're, they're still there, you know, at the bottom of the mountain, they're carrying on doing the work. They're praying for people. They're, they're looking to see people healed. Jesus comes down and the first thing they get is a rebuke of faithless, worthless generation. How much longer do I have to be with you? Oh, I think I covered it, that in Savage Jesus. Didn't I? That's, it is, wow, anyway. Not necessarily Jesus we, we think of. Verse 19, afterwards the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Verse 20, you don't have enough faith, Jesus said. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Amen. If you had at least as much faith as a mustard seed. So, I've got some mustard seeds here. I'm not sure if they have black ones, but I thought I'd get black ones because you can see them better. This is where I make a mess. This are mustard seeds. Really small, little bits of seed. I'll come over here as well. I just, Dave, you can have a whole load of them. There you go. I don't know what you to do with them, but there we go. Mustard seeds. Really small bits of seeds. You want some, dear? There you go. Let me just put one in my hand. You can hardly see it. It exists, but you can hardly see it. Now, sometimes I go, if you have it, this, this is the encouraged thing. If you just have enough faith as a mustard seed, you can see mountains pulled up and thrown into the sea. You can see problems thrown into the sea. But in this context, I don't find it that encouraging because Jesus said to the disciples, you don't even have this much faith. If you did have this much faith, you'd have cast those mountains into the sea. Wow. That much faith. A real, small, looks insignificant bit of faith. I've decided I don't like this version. So let's go to Mark, Mark 9, and let's read the same, same story from a different version. Hopefully Mark will have a nicer version. Mark 9 and verse, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all that this you're arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit but won't let him talk. 
And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, insults are still here, aren't they? You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but then the... Uh, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this happened, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible to anyone who has a mustard seed of faith. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that made this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into, an, into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, this is a bit one to get to afterward, when the, Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. King James says prayer and fasting. Most translations just put prayer. We're just going to keep with prayer for a moment. At some point we'll go into fasting. Jesus said that this boy was only going to get healed or this demon was only going to come out if they prayed have a think about it the disciples were there with with this with this boy trying to heal him trying to get this uh, demon out of, of him and they couldn't do it weren't the disciples praying what were they doing were they just standing there and just expecting the spirit to miraculously come out no they were praying for this this boy they were ministering to this boy. So what does Jesus mean? This can only come out by prayer. And how come Mark talks about it only coming out by prayer, and Matthew only talks, it, talks about it only coming out by faith? It's like, there's a, is there a contradiction there? There isn't. Well, I don't think there is. You have to listen to find out why. What is it about prayer? What is Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, we need to understand what prayer is. Can I have my first slide, please? And I want to refer to another part in Scripture where it says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Philippians 4, verse 6. Prayer and supplication. What does supplication mean? Supplication means I request things from God. I ask him for things it's praying for a specific felt need so if supplication is praying for a specific felt need god will you do this for me god can you help me out in this situation what is prayer prayer and supplication it's because the word we translate for prayer means more than just asking god for things it's a bigger meaning the come to the next slide the, the word we use now let me see if i can get this right Pros, prosokum, kumai, something like that. Pros, oh, I can't even try it. Someone, someone, anyone know how to how pronounce it? Pros, yeah. I, I call this word prosecco. Because I can remember it if I call it prosecco. 
I cannot speak Greek in the slightest. And so I always make my own little words up for the words in Greek. So this one I call Prosecco. So when I'm talking about Prosecco, I'm talking about this word here, okay? It's a Greek word. What this word, what does this word mean? Well, the first definition you'll get to if you go to a, a, a dictionary about it is, it means a temple. It means a place. In the New Testament, this word was translated to mean the temple. It meant the synagogue, a place where they would gather together to pray. But also in Greek, it also just meant a temple. This word was used for temples to idols. A place. What did Jesus say when he first teaches about prayer in Matthew 6? He talks about where you pray. He says, don't be like the Pharisees who love to pray in the synagogues, who love to pray in the temple, who love to pray in church, who love to pray in public on, on the street corners. Instead, go to your house, close the door, get in secret, and your father will meet you there. The first thing I want to talk about is, is where do you go when you pray? Because Jesus is very concerned about it. It also means to lean towards, or we could say, because this is more of our language, to draw near. So this word is talking about drawing near to God, going to where God is and drawing near to him. What does it say that when we go and close the door that the Father sees what we're doing? You see, prayer is not just about requests to him. Prayer is about going into the presence of God. Prayer is about going face to face to encounter, to go towards, to drawing near to the Father and he will meet with you as you draw near to him. That is all in the context of prayer. When Jesus said this house, when he was talking about the temple, should be a house of prayer, he uses this word. What happened in the temple? Well, people drew near because that's where the, the Ark of the Covenant would be. That's where God lived. That's where you go to. And what did you do in the temple when you went to the temple? Well, there were prayers, there were songs, there was sacrifice, but it was also drawing near to where God is. There's also a sacrifice and offering. Peter says we are priests. But the best way of putting this is the, is the literal translation. And I love this. I got this from a dictionary. I did come up, up with it. Literally, the word means this. To interact with the Lord by switching human wishes or ideas for his wishes as he imparts faith. Prayer and faith. Already connected. I'll, I'll go further to that in a bit. This word doesn't just mean I go and ask God for things. It means this. I come to my father. I go to where he is. And as I go to, to him in prayer, as I draw near to him, I exchange all that I am for all that he is. I lay down my burdens. I lay down my cares. And he transfers to me his burdens and his cares. The whole cross is this, but I give him my life, and then Christ lives in me. How does that happen? It happens through prayer. It's this divine exchange where my life is not my own anymore, where I am filled up to the knowledge of God, where I'm filled up with his glory, where I'm filled up with his Holy Spirit. Why? Because I've come to him in prayer and allowed everything that I have to be his. 
and allow the inheritance of heaven to flow into me. It's a picture of exchange. It's a picture of, of intimacy. It's a picture of encounter. It is not just merely asking for things. So how would this look like? Well, in my life, it looks like this. It includes just sitting, listening to what he's got to say. I'm more interested in what God's got to say than the things I've got to tell him. Because he already knows all my needs before I ever, I ever give them to him. The most important thing for me is to actually hear him talk to me. How do I do that? Well, sometimes it is just sitting there. But sometimes one of the, one of the main things I do when I come to prayer is pick up my Bible and start reading it. Because I've got his words, his communication to me all the time. I, I listen for his voice. I, as I read my Bible, I'm listening for him to talk to me. You see... Praying with your Bible isn't to see how many chapters I can read in one day or in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It's more about encountering my Father through the pages. If that takes one verse, it takes one verse. Sometimes I can just sit on one verse and God talks to me. Sometimes I need to read two or three books before he starts talking to me. But whichever way it works, it's about encountering him, not knowing about him. Because prayer is knowing him. Not all the information about him. What else does it include? Well, it might include remembering prophecy that he said to me. Words that he said to me. Meditating on them. Bringing them back to mind. Speaking of them. It may increase, include singing. If you're a musician, it might mean getting a, a harp out. If you've got a harp. Anyone got a harp? No, I didn't think I'm going to harp. Your guitar out, your keys out, and just start worshipping him. Again, it's not rehearsing a song, it's encountering him. It's about sacrifice. 2 Corinthians says this, that as you allow your gaze to be on Christ Jesus, you are transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. What is it like when you go to prayer? It's about looking at Jesus and allowing to transform you from glory to glory to glory. So when you come to prayer, God may do brain surgery. He may do heart surgery. He may even do body surgery so that you are filled with his words, so you are filled with his life, so you are filled with all that he is, so you are filled with his nature, so that you become more and more like him, talking like him, desiring what he wants, thinking like he thinks. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says it, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain you strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and get tired. They will walk and not become weary. When you spend time in the presence of the Lord, you are refreshed. You are miraculously given strength. You are miraculously given courage. You're miraculously given boldness. You are miraculously given what the Bible says, eternal life flowing from the inside out. So this is why we're here. So Chris, are you just saying that some demons only come out because you have a quiet time? Well, it depends what you mean by a quiet time, doesn't it? It depends what you mean by a devotional time or whatever labour you've given it. What I'm saying is this. Jesus said that sometimes demons, or can I just broaden it and hopefully not break the context, breakthroughs only come through prayer. 
An instant prayer in the moment doesn't necessarily break it or bring you the, the breakthrough. Sometimes you need to time, spend time in prayer for your prayer to be answered. What did Jesus say was the most important prayer? Wasn't the one in the public? Wasn't how good you can pray in church? Wasn't how, how great you can use your language? No, it was when you come to me in secret. That is the prayer I reward. We saw it last week in Matthew 6. When you come to me in secret, I reward you. See, answer prayer is not about... Let me rephrase that. The secret to answer prayer is not knowing about what to pray. It's knowing... No, I've got it wrong again. Let me read it. It makes it easier. Answer prayer is not about what you know. It's about who you know. Jesus said, do not be like... This is still Matthew 6. Jesus said, do not be like the heathens who think they will be heard by many words. And let, let me quote it. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard with the many words. Prayer is not casting spells. Prayer is not finding, if I just had the right combination of words, I'll get the answer. My breakthrough in prayer is because of Jesus Christ. I stand on his cross. I stand on his righteousness. When I come into prayer, I exchange my righteousness for his righteousness, and I stand on that. I have no confidence that I get my answers, my prayers answered because I spent two hours in prayer. I have my confidence because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And the power comes from him. It is knowing that I am a child of God, that I can boldly approach the throne of grace, and that he will listen to me. Rather than just speaking words out. It's a confidence that I have. That is what knowing who, who you are in Christ. It's not about knowing the right formula. It's about knowing him. And what I've just described to you is faith. Because faith is not believing that God exists. The demons believe that. Faith is not believing that God has the power. Because the demons believe that. Faith is this. I know who my God is. I know that he is for me. I know that if I go to him and ask for a loaf of bread, he will give me a loaf of bread and not a stone. Why? Because I spent time with him. And now I know who he is. And I know his nature. I know his, his words. I know his voice. And I know how he talks to me. And I know how much he loves me. And I know how much I, he cares for me. Why? Because I spent time in his presence. That is faith. Faith is not that he can heal, that he could heal, it's that he will heal. It even goes further than that. Faith in God is this, it's in his very nature to heal. It is who he is. He is the healer. That's why I'm going to him. It's not that he can solve the problem, he wants to. It is what he does. It's in his DNA. So how do I grow in faith? I spend time with my father. How do I grow in faith? Well, I read the word. How do I grow in faith? Well, I remember prophecies. How do I grow in faith? Well, singing songs is really good. Those sing songs about, about how good he is. How do I grow in faith? It is about sometimes just sitting down with your Bible and, and writing what he's saying to you. 
It is the same as how do I grow in prayer is the same as how do I grow in faith. And because they are like that, Matthew didn't bother to write about prayer and Mark didn't bother to write about faith. Because the answer to both is the same. Find your father, close the door, spend some time in his presence and you will see answered prayers. It's his relationship with him. It's who you know. It's not what you know. It's not how many hours do I spend in a quiet time. It's how, many, how much time did I spend with him. So I have a practical exercise for us to do. Because I thought, we should actually do something rather than just me talk. Can I have the next slide, please? I've got Psalm 23. And I want us to spend some time in prayer. This is, this is the thing I like to do in prayer around Psalm 23. I want us to pray or meditate or use whatever adjective or noun you like. I don't really mind. I want us to, to personally go through this psalm and make it applicable to me or applicable to you. Now, as we go through this, I'm not bothered if you go through it once. I'm not bothered if you go through it ten times or if you get stuck on the first line and get no further. doesn't worry me. That's not what it's about. So how do we pray through a psalm like this? I'm going to give you a little bit of an example, and then I'm going to let you loose to do it. Is that right? So this is how I would do it. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I like to walk or, or lie down. I hate sitting. And the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. I speak to my body, I shall not want. I speak to my mind, I shall not want. I will trust in the Father. I will trust in Jesus. I will trust in the cross. I declare that he is my provider. I shall not want. I speak over my family, we shall not want. Now that's how I would do it. I'm not going to tell you how to use the scripture or how to pray, but I want us to spend five minutes using Psalm 23. You can get up off your seat, you can move around, you can sit down somewhere else, you can stay exactly where you are if you like, but I recommend you don't. And I want you, if you just say Psalm 23 and you just say it over and over again, that is fine. If you want to put it in your own words, you put it in your own words. If you want to personalise it and make it about you and your family, you do that. If you end up in a massive prayer time with God in a big conversation and you haven't done any of this, brill. Is that alright? Everyone know what we're doing? Probably not because you wouldn't put your hand up and say, no, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, so, why don't we all stand up to start with? <laughs> just, just so we can change your mind. If you've got your own Bible, that's good to use. If you've got it on an app on a phone, that's good. And if you're standing and you want to sit, you can do. If you want to walk around, you can do. But for five minutes, I just want you to read through this psalm. Go through it line by line. Go through word by word. Go through the whole psalm and just start to pray through it. Is that okay, everyone? Brilliant. Okay, you've got five minutes. Off you go. 
Psalm 91 says this, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 is, is often called the soldier's psalm because it talks about protection. But if you look through the protection, but it says it's, it's for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. You can turn that slide off now. It's, it's for those who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, who rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who find themselves in the presence of God, who seek Him out, have the protections in Psalm 91. So I want to move on to some, because I know time, some practical tips of how do we have secret prayer? Because the very fact that it's secret means that you can get away with not doing it. Because it's secret. If anyone knows that you're going off to pray, then it's not so secret anymore, is it? So you can make yourself accountable to someone, which is a good thing to do. But how, does, how do we build a prayer, secret prayer life? Well, my first tip is this. Do whatever works. Whatever works for you, you do that. Don't listen to some preacher or some really super spiritual person who talks about how they're five hours doing this and ten hours doing that. Forget all that. Unless you're called to that, you don't need to do it. Forget. I, I've, I've ruined so many times. I've been listening to a, to a preacher and I said, this is a, how I have my amazing quiet times. And I go, oh, right. And then I change what I'm doing and I wreck my own quiet times. What I was doing was good and worked for me. And then I tried to do what someone else did and it, it didn't work very well. If it works, do it. If worship music, while you're doing it, works, do it. If lighting a candle helps you focus, light a candle. I often light a candle. I haven't got a clue why I'm lighting a candle. I've got no theological reason for doing it. I just light a candle. It just helps me set my mind. It just helps me set, set my body up for doing it. I, I, just, I just do that. Um, if being spontaneous works for you, as in I just do it when God tells me to, and that's working for you, brilliant, Find time when God just when you just find it spontaneously. If spontaneous is not working for you, may I suggest that you actually look at your diary and work out where can I fit God in? Which is a really bit of a weird, weird thing to think. Is where can I fit God into my diary? Well, he should own the whole of the diary if, you've, if we're a Christian, we've given everything to him. But where can I schedule God in? And I, my advice would be to put it in your diary. My second thing would be, oh, my third thing, whichever I'm on to, is, you know, you know people who, um, you know, they, they have their, their Christmas blowout and then they, they decide that they're going to run every day and, and do this really harsh diet every day and then by the end of week one, but they, they failed. I think the same thing happens with prayer lives. We go, oh, I better be doing an hour and I better be doing this and I better be doing that. Jesus never said how long you should pray in private and he never said for how long. What's manageable for you? What's realistic? And then add a bit. Remember, a mustard seed is small, but it grows into a big plant. What matters is that you're actually spending time with him at some point. If five minutes is all you've got, use five minutes. If ten minutes, brilliant. If you do five minutes one day and, and five minutes every day, or you do five minutes three times a day, or you do two hours on a Friday because that's your day off, and you don't do anything on the Wednesday and Thursday. If that works for you, brilliant. But be real with yourself. Ask yourself this question. Am I spending enough time in the presence of God? Now, most of us will just immediately have to be full of guilt and go, well, I'm not. Realistically, are you spending enough time 
in your diary to spend time with him. My, my next thing would be this. Where are you going to do it? It's important. Jesus is saying where you should where you should pray. You know what? Sometimes I mean I, I like I like praying in I don't like praying in my office because I feel like that's that's work. Well, I do pray in my office, but my, I like going to the sitting room where nowhere else is. That's just how what I do. But I know people who used to drive in their cars and have personal devotional times. If that works for them, brilliant. I could think of nothing worse. Just sit in the car in the middle of a car park doing a prayer devotion. But that's what works. Do it. I know sometimes when I've when I've uh, been so full of distractions, and sometimes home life, as we know, can be full of distractions, I've gone and gone for a walk. Or sometimes I will go to a coffee shop and put my earphones in, even if there's nothing going on in them, just to say, don't talk to me, just so that I've got a focus part of, I know that I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to focus on, on Jesus. As I keep saying, whatever works, do whatever works. When it's hard... Keep going. I've had many times in, in my life where prayer has been extremely hard. And I've, this, this is sometimes where I've got to. I've read my Bible, prayed, heard nothing back, and gone to bed. But then I wake up the next morning, read my Bible, pray, get nothing back, and go to bed. When it's hard, just keep on going. Just keep on going. It says the Father sees what's done in secret and rewards what's done in secret. It doesn't say he's going to give you lovely, warm goosebumps every time you get into the presence of God. I mean, I love it when it's like you, you open your Bible or you go to, pr to pray and it's like the room is full with his glory. But I also know there's times when it's, I'd rather be somewhere else, but I'm just doing this because I know it's good for me. And I know because he rewards me if I spend time seeking his presence in secret. When it's really hard... I don't know what you're like when disaster hits you, but when disaster hits me, I actually don't want to pray. I know some people, when disaster hits them, they, they suddenly want to pray. I actually, my emotions are the opposite. I'm wired the other way. I have to force myself to pray. And sometimes when, when you feel let down, and maybe you think that God's let you down, it's like, how can I even pray and talk to him? I've spent, in our last house, I've spent many times on the riverbank, walking along the riverbank, just reading, well, remembering Psalm 23 and just speaking Psalm 23 and speaking Psalm 23 and speaking Psalm 23 and speaking Psalm 23 as I'm walking and then saying the Lord's Prayer over and over and again. If that's all you can do in that moment in your life, it's precious. It's beautiful. And God rewards what he sees what he's done in secret. When it's hard, keep going. Whatever you can do, keep going. Um, another little tip I've got for you I've got some resources to show you in a minute but another little tip I've got for you is this if your Bible translation is you're finding it hard to read your Bible get a new Bible translation my, my, I went to my, my mum's at, um, at Christmas and uh, I'm not even sure what Bible translation it was but on the back of it it said the best Bible is the one you read there's, not, there's no point having the most accurate version of the Bible that you can get if you do not read it. I've gone, I, I have an NASB which is supposed to be the most accurate and lovers of the ESV will, will say that theirs is the most more, most more accurate. I have now got myself an NLT as well. Why? Because I find it a lot easier to read. 
I've got to be honest, this is a lot better to read, a lot easier to read. And if there's something I go, really? Does the Bible say that? Well, there's lots of apps to go and find out what the Bible actually does say, and has this, this translation got it wrong? What, if, if, and just having a fresh translation, I liked it when the, um, was it the Promised Bible came out? Because suddenly a new translation, I can read it. Just, just spices it up a bit. So, resources, come at, at the next slide. There are a ton, as I said, if you are great, I mean, this is how I like to do, do um, Bible reading. I just like to go in, into the presence of God and just say, right, what shall I read? What shall I do? But I know lots of people aren't, work, aren't uh, wired that way. There are lots of free resources that help you have some kind of devotional time. UCB, Word for the Day. I, I get this. UCB, Word for, for Today. It's free. You go to the website, they send you it. And in it, there's, there's a, a scripture and some writing and, and something that you can, you can start a day off. If that's great for you, you can go and just, just order that from that website. I'll put these on Facebook and email them out to you. You can also get it online as an app. You can also get it online from their website, the word for today from UCB. Uh, a new one I've got is called the Pause app. I use something called a Pause app. Um, I'll, that's the link I'll send you. Send you. you have a choice of a one-minute or a three-minute or a five-minute or a ten-minute devotional which is led by your phone. It's awesome. I use it. I have it set up to go off at 10 o'clock in the, in, in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon as, as a three-minute pause. It's, it's, it, it leads you into just what I was saying, giving everything that you've got to God and receiving back. If you love apps... You might love that one. Um, something else I use, which is free. The 52-week reading plan. Here, you, you, I've got a link to it. You've got many different ones. It's, it splits the, uh, the every day into a reading. I love this, but I don't follow it. So I'll tell you what I do. I go, I want to read Romans. And so I read, read Romans, then tick all of the ones of Romans. I hate being told what to read or what day. It does my head in. And then, of course, when you miss one, you, go, you get all the guilt for not being there one day. And what do I do? Do I skip it or do I go to the next one? So I actually just use this to make sure I actually read the whole of the Bible. But it's there. If, if it works for you, you can also get Bibles which, which give you daily, daily readings. You can read the whole Bible in one year that way. YouVersion app. Again, you'll, you'll get the link. It's got, I bet many of you know this already. You can get lots of Bible translations on there. You can get lots of devotional. You can get UCB devotionals on the 52-week, um, sorry, on, on version app. Um, do remember, of course, that the Bible, when it was written, especially the Old Testament, wasn't designed to be read. It was designed to be listened to. You can listen to the Bible. If, if reading is an issue, listen to the Bible. If you, if you, you know, I remember reading my first novel after so many years, thinking I can't read anymore. If reading has become a problem... Listen to, to the Bible. We've also got Revive Church podcasts. I'll put that one. There are many podcasts you can get. I've got to be really honest. When I'm really looking for some inspiration, I normally put on someone preaching. Now, about 10 to 15 minutes of, of listening to someone preach, I haven't got a clue what they've, where they've gone. Because they've said something, I've gone, ah, oh, I've got my Bible and, and we're going through it, or written something else. It just sparks me into listening and to, and to going through my own journey with God. And so I, I, love, I love using podcasts, but I don't necessarily know what they told me. Is that, is that right? But I'm not bothered. Yeah, this is not education. This is not trying to be the best Bible scholar or the best knowledge of, of what um, God is doing. It's I know him. 
I met him today. I felt his presence. His word washed and cleaned my life. I'm being transformed into more of the image of Jesus day by day. And as I read my word, as I listen to preaching, as I listen and engage with worship music, as I just pray to him and just sit there in quiet and listen to him, as I get a, a diary out and just start writing a letter to the Father, as I do all these things, he is transforming me. He is meeting with me. My life is being renewed. Jesus said, the most important prayer is the one done in secret. Let me just ask you a question as we finish. Is there anything that you are, any obstacle, any mountain that you need cast into the sea? Is there anything you're facing at the moment? Your pastor will happily pray for you. Your pastor will happily hear about you. Even, even if you get me down for a coffee, I'll, I'll, I'll happily listen to you and pray through stuff which needs to change in your life or problems you've got. But Jesus said, some mountains only move by prayer. And the most powerful prayer, or put me this way, the prayer that Father listens to the most and rewards the most is that which is done in secret. Father, I just pray for everyone here. Lord, I pray for, for wherever people have had dryness in, in their quiet times, in their devotions, in meeting with you. Lord, I pray that you would create rivers of living water, rivers, streams to flow through their lives, flow through their mornings, flow through their evenings, flow through their afternoons. And Father, I pray for those who have never, ever even prayed at home. Father, I pray that you birth in them a desire to pray, a desire to be in your presence, a desire to know you, a desire to hear from you. And Lord, you say that we are your sheep and that you are our shepherd and that your sheep know your voice. Father, I pray that we would hear, understand clearly your voice. Understand clearly your word. And Lord, I pray that as we shut out the world and we get into secret places, that you would come and meet us, that you would come transform us, that you would give us energy, that you would give us direction, that you would give us your very eternal life. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray.